God, we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe in the invisible world. Not in some kind of a spooky way, but in a way that we simply believe that we are more than just physical beings, but we exist in an invisible world. And uh, you talk to us, and we can hear you. And we can talk to you. So in this room, this very moment, we believe your Holy Spirit is eager and willing to speak to us, whether it's words of challenge, words of encouragement, words of comfort, um, whatever it is he wants to say to each one of us, would you give us ears to hear what he's saying and then give us the courage and the grace uh, to respond in whatever way he asks us to. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Here's the letter for the day right now. All right. By show of hands, how many of you remember ever getting one of these on a paper or a test in high school or college? Okay. Now, who would be willing to talk about it? Seriously. Who had a who had a who remembers getting an F in a paper or a math test grade that wants to talk about it? Okay, we got okay. Loser. Just kidding. Stand up. <laughs> What's your name? I'm Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Nathaniel works at the McDonald's on South Walnut by South High School. So if you're there, treat him well. Anyway, he gets a really good smoothie. Anyway. Nathaniel, what'd you get your F in? I got an F on my macroeconomics final last uh, last spring. Oh, semester. so it's recent. It is. Oh wow. So the and, red uh, the red is still pretty fresh. Yeah, he could I um I deserve this. I, I will fully own up to it, to uh, deserving this. I went to class eight times that semester. Okay, and, <laughs> and uh, for, the, for those of us who forgot the college lifestyle, two, how many times, times would have meant? a week, it would have been about 32 times. Okay, so, I went about so about the time. 25% um, of the time. That's probably what you got in the final? So I got, I think, a 48%. Okay. So I, I very much deserved it, and that's why I'm taking it again this semester. So when you... <laughs> This was not a setup, by the way. I didn't know that. What, so when you saw that on your, that you kind of knew it was coming. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Was it written in red? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, or was it just a computer I, printout? It was. Uh, it was a great. Um, I went home, checked our uh, on course thing, and just saw the answer key. And I, I looked at the at the copy of the test I brought home, and because I had my answer circled on that, and I was like, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, I got that one right. <laughs> I got that one right. I think I guessed on that one, right? Uh, so your heart kind of sank when you saw that. A little bit. I, yeah. I knew that I was going to have to take that again. Okay, are you going to class this semester? I am. Good. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Uh, just out of curiosity, too, anybody here who is a teacher who has ever written a red F on somebody's paper before? Okay, we've got a few. Actually, I'm going to ask Mr. Badani that one, then. I've got to get on this one. Okay, this is Jeremy Padani. He's uh, one of our elder team members. Get this off mute here. Okay, how'd you feel when you put the F on somebody's paper? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Why don't you turn around? So Bill, I, 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 well, they plagiarized, so it was coming. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you use like a red sharpie? Was it a fine point? Or did you, did you just? Yeah, I don't really remember the pen. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just, but it was something that when you did it, you're like, you probably didn't find a whole lot of joy in it, but you knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, there was a conversation coming too, so it was one of those things where it was difficult to. Okay. The F was the beginning. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Don't take any classes with Jeremy, or else don't plagiarize. 
All right. Stories of failure are not things we like to talk about. Um, if you've got F's in classes or papers, if you've ever been fired from a job, if you've ever failed at something else you've tried. Um, so the question of the morning is going to be this. Uh, do you remember your failures? And now I'm not just talking about macro-econ or plagiarizing a paper or uh, striking out in a baseball game. I'm talking about times when maybe your failure was in kind of the spiritual realm, when you, when you failed spiritually. Times in your life where you really don't want to talk about, and if I asked for a show of hands, people would probably be a lot more reticent to talk about those times in their life because there are moments typically we're not proud of. We don't like it to think about the times where we failed to do what God was asking to do, or we failed to live according to the standards that God says we, can, we should live at in order to be fully alive. But we have those. My guess is every one of us has some time in our lives, maybe it wasn't quite this big of an F, you know, what, 84-point font or whatever that is. Maybe it was a small failure, but failure is failure. And there are times that we, what we tend to do is we hide it or we, we conveniently forget it and I'm not saying that we should kind of rub our failure back on our noses, but sometimes we forget it in a way that we haven't really dealt with it, if that makes sense. So what we're going to talk about today is uh, your failures. So if this is your first time at Exodus, welcome at Exodus Church. <laughs> we're going to talk about your failures. Um, and let's talk about here what we've been doing. Last week we just started, go to the next slide here, we started a series called Remember. And we're doing the book of Deuteronomy which is the fifth book of the Old Testament, also called the Hebrew Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's also called the fifth book of Moses. It's part of what people refer to as the Pentateuch, Penta five, the five books of Moses, all right? So Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy literally means the second law. It's not really what it was. I mean, that's a word that was given by, you know, Latin people later on. But it was Moses recounting the laws of God and recounting how God expected them to live. All right? So if you remember last week, to start Deuteronomy, we talked about in, at the end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of Joshua, which is the next book, the children of Israel cross over the River Jordan, finally into the place God had promised them to do. And then as they crossed over, they built this stone memorial that God told them to remember kind of their journey from going from slavery in Egypt through rebellion in the wilderness to crossing the Jordan River into the land Jesus God had promised them. And so I had last week, and I brought them again this week, I got copies of my journals. And it's not about my story, but these journals kind of represent every one of us. We all have stories that kind of, and I even brought some stones and I took them from a place that wasn't my yard, but I am going to put them back. So uh, I was doing that this morning, and I'm glad nobody saw me when I stopped my car. So um, It's actually in my neighborhood, so I probably own these rocks somehow. So, but in a sense, let's say this represents kind of your stories, my stories, and our stones of remembrance. Because you remember, go to the next slide. Uh, here's how the Deuteronomy 1 starts. And again, I'll give the context here. It starts out this way. These are the words. Now, interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, this book, the fifth book of Moses, is called These Are the Words. All right? So a little trivia for those of you who want, 
want that. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. Okay, flip the next slide. Okay, remember they start off in Egypt, left dot. Uh, God had delivered them from slavery. Uh, what was a 40, what should have been, you know, a few weeks, maybe a month journey by foot with all the people they had turned into a 40-year journey. Uh, because of some rebellion and sinfulness, and they kind of go through the whole, go back again, sorry. And they end up with the upper right yellow dot, which is right on the verge of the Jordan River. And when they go left, you can even see it looks greener because that's where modern day Israel is. That was the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land that God was giving his people, the land that God says, these belong to you because this is your land of promise. They're getting ready to cross over the river, which was the indication of you're leaving this part of your life behind. You're now crossing over a new thing, and that's when they crossed. Moses had the men, God told Moses to ask the men to get 12 stones in the river, build this monument, so when they crossed, they would always look back and remember. This is to remember that the river Jordan dried up and remember what God has done through us through these last 40 years. So these stones of remembrance, these memorials, and like Dan had mentioned, these 40-day devotionals that some of us are getting online are people telling stories, kind of some stones, some maybe pebbles of remembrance, one of the writers mentioned this week, of times where God was, we saw God active in our lives, all right? So this is where we are now. So what Deuteronomy is, is Moses' big speech right before they cross, all right? So the whole book of Deuteronomy could be phrased in, remember, Moses is telling them, remember. So Moses is recounting to the people all that happened as they prepare to go. It's almost like a pregame talk. Okay, as you go into this next phase of your life spiritually, this phase of promise, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the past. All right, so let's go on with the book. So when we're at Mount Sinai, this is Moses again talking, rehearsing to the people what they did, what happened. The Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough It's time to break camp and move on. In other words, head toward the promised land. Head toward the upper right yellow dot. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I have given all this land to you. Go in and occupy it. For it is the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all their descendants. Stay here for a second. What's the primary verb God's using here? Go. Up there three times. Go. Go there. Go, go, go. Move. Go. God loves that verb for all of us. Go. All right? Here we go. Then, just as the Lord our God commanded us, we left Mount Sinai and we traveled to the great and terrifying wilderness. Great and terrifying because it was dry. There was no water. Not a great place to travel. As you yourselves remember, and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites... When we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites the Lord our God is giving us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go, there's God's favorite verb again there, go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors has promised you. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Next one. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you refused to go in. I mean, Moses is bringing up some past big red F's. It's like, come on, Moses, leave it behind. You know, this is a new day. Why do we have to bring that up? And I want to remember this too. Who are the people? Remember the people, the reason they were stalled in in the wilderness for, you know, 38 plus extra years was because the sin of a group of people that were all the fighting age, all right? What happened to all those people before they crossed over? They were all dead. 
So God said, not one of these people will be alive when we cross over. So think about it for a second. This, this crowd that Moses is talking to, the people who rebelled and refused aren't even there anymore. It's their children. But he's still saying you. And, and I'm sitting there and you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, that, that was my dad and my uncle. That wasn't me. You're not talking to me. You're talking to them. But, but in the biblical sense, and we don't always think about this, no, Moses is talking to them and he's talking to us. We're part of the you. Our ancestors refused and rebelled against God. Therefore, you rebel and refused, refused God. And we kind of, oh, it's not fair. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But the whole larger point is, but we are all just like that. If we would have been those ancestors in the early part of the travel out of Egypt, we would have had in percentage-wise, the same issues of rebellion and refusal. And we tend to not think that. We tend to put ourselves in the, we like Joshua and Caleb. They're the ones that we're allowed to go in, but we're all like Joshua and Caleb. Well, no, we're not. And we're not, not any of us, none of us are always like Joshua and Caleb. We all need to find ourselves in the you that he's talking about. So as I read this part, I want you, when, I, when it says, but you rebel, I want us all to think about that Moses is also the Holy Spirit, he's talking to us and we're part of that you about what happens when God's asking us to move forward in some part of our lives, all right? So let me read this and let's read it in that sense that Moses is speaking or the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. You complained, another thing we're really all good at. If you remember the, the word, uh, in some of the versions of the Bible, complained is the word, same word is translated as murmur. All right? We did this before, but everybody now, I went like five times, kind of low voice, go murmur, 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 murmur. All right? Ready? Go. Murmur, 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 murmur. It's kind of that. All right? So murmur even sounds like what was going on. And we know what that feels like. We've murmured against the Lord before. We may not speak it out loud, but there's something in our spirit that's like, I can't believe why doesn't God change it? You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. Why has he brought us here from Egypt? I mean, they were slaves in Egypt. They were in a horrible situation. And they're complaining. Why has he brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered? Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large and walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, but I said to you, Moses in response to their kind of refusing, rebelling, complaining, don't be shocked. I mean, you can almost see Moses trying to kind of pull him back. Don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as the father cares for his child. Now he's brought you to this place. And Moses is saying, okay, good. Maybe I can help help them kind of deal with this, these fears they have. All right, next thing. But even after all he did, God, you refused to trust the Lord your God, who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. When the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry. So he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. All right? It's kind of like God takes that as kind of, you know, 
macro red Sharpie and puts failure. Failure. Look at all that I did for them and they still just refuse to trust me. So go to the next slide here. So remember your failures. That's kind of, that's the theme of the day. Remember your failures. And you, again, you might think, well, oh, wait a minute, I thought we're not supposed to remember those things. Doesn't God forget them? Yes, God, and we'll talk about that later. God forgets in that sense. Um, but there's some reason why Moses is recounting to these people uh, their failures. And there's something really, really good, healthy, and eventually strengthening for all of us to remember our failures. Um, I'm going to ask somebody, uh, somebody want to help me pass these out? I don't know, Dane, can you, and Dan, Dane and Dan, that's cool. Anyway, uh, all it says on these cards, I'm just going to have a whole one. It says, remember, and then it says, my refusal, my refusals, my refusals, rebellions, and complaints. All right, because it seems like that's what Moses was saying. You know, there's times when you rebelled. There's times when you refuse to do what I ask you to do. And there's times when you're complaining and it's like, okay, for some reason, the Holy Spirit wanted Moses to remind these people of those failures. Now, there's, there's a couple different extremes on this. One extreme is, okay, because God just wants to rub their noses in it and remind them that he's God and they're not and remind them that they're really dirt and, you know, don't forget you failed, so you better not fail again because if you do, I'm going to whap you or whatever. That's not God. I mean, I, I'm assuming when Jeremy Padani gave that student an F, he didn't find a great deal of joy and pleasure in, you know, writing the biggest F and having this big, you know, condemnation kind of conversation. It was a truth-telling conversation, I'm sure, but not condemnation. All right? So in the sense is, what do we do with the failures in our life? And is it important to remember them? Not remember them it was guilt, but remember them with a healthy kind of spiritual memory that reminds us of some ways God has been active in our lives, but also remind us of what we have a possibility and potential of doing without God in our lives. All right? I'm, I'm, uh, I mentioned last week, some of you heard last week, I mentioned last week that you know, my, my story, my stones, as well as yours, I'm sure, but mine particularly, there's uh, accounts of many failures in these books. And I mentioned last week uh, the period of time in my life in my late teens and early 20s where the failure was in the area of pornography. And there's other failures, times where I was fearful about something or afraid of something or wasn't fully honest with someone else. And again, you, if you would rehearse your story, you would find some of those very stories in your story. All right? And I'm going to simply ask three questions this morning, and they all revolve around the words refusals, rebellions, and complaints. Say those three words with me. Refusals, rebellions, and complaints. All right, first one. Can you remember a time when you rebelled against God? And Moses is telling them, hey, remember when your parents did this? And can you remember a time when you rebelled against God? Now, rebellion, you know, we tend to think rebellion is something like, ah, you know, that kind of a thing. The Bible talks about rebellious people as being kind of stiff-necked. So it, it, it's not necessarily always this kind of angry young man kind of personality. Rebellion is simply 
when you know the parameters through which God has said you will come to fully being fully alive, and you just simply choose to walk outside of that. That's rebellion. And it's one of those words that sounds kind of heavy and harsh, but my, my journey into pornography as a way to find life was rebellion. It was stepping outside of God's parameters. This is how God said you will be fully alive, and I chose to believe I could find it somewhere else. That's rebellion. When you choose and you believe that you can find the life you've always wanted, but God's laws and God's parameters a little bit stifling for me, and I can find it myself, thank you. Or I don't think God's going to pull through on me, so I better go get it myself. That's rebellion. So is there a time in your life you can remember uh, when you rebelled against God? And, And my guess is, if we're honest, we can find more than just a couple. My guess is right now, some of you are living the present tense of this question. So is there a time in your life when you rebelled against God? Um, you know, just, just for the sake, you know, everybody just put your finger on the word rebellion and just kind of go across the word. And if you can think of a situation where, you, yeah, that was, just let that be kind of written on with that there. Just a time where you think, yeah, that's, that's what I was doing. All right. I'm not asking you to write it down or write the sin down. We're not going to publish it or anything. All right. Question two. Can you remember a time when you refused to do something God asked you to do? This is a little bit different because rebellion is when there's things God's already said, his laws, his parameters about being honest, about sexual purity, about uh, things like that, about not being idolatrous. That's rebellion. Refusal is sometimes God has to do something that, uh, you know, we're living inside the laws. We're, we're, we're being obedient in those ways, but sometimes God asks, has asked, us, asked you to do something, and you just kind of, God says, go, 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 and you're like, um, can we talk about this? Can we study this? Can we figure out? And, and again, these aren't, often these aren't big, big, big kind of refusals. It's not like God said, go to Africa, and, you know, you chose not to. Maybe some of you are here like that. Maybe you feel like God was calling you to a different kind of life that you said no to. But uh, actually, I just heard this story yesterday. Someone interview. I got a failure story. No, here, Patrick. He knows I'm interviewing him on this too. I just asked him this morning. But he was just telling a story yesterday where he refused something God had asked him to do. So uh, why don't you just tell us real briefly what it was. Well, we'd been studying a lot um, in a group of... This is Patrick Tolbert, by the way. ...of uh, spiritual healing and um, how God can come through and all we need to do is just step out in faith and and been studying a lot about that and um, so I was all over it you know I was like yeah let's go do this let's go pray for people and then um, and then all of a sudden God asked me to do something and there I was by myself and it was at prompt care and I was just getting out of there for um, I don't know, it's probably sinus infection. I have a lot of those. And you didn't go there looking for somebody to pray for. And then this girl and her boyfriend come in, and they're closing the clinic, and they won't take them in. And, like, she's crying, and they're, like, kind of freaking out. And then they turn them away and close the door. And I walk out, and I'm thinking, I need to go pray for them. I need to go pray for them. I know God's telling me to do it. I need to do it. And I fought and fought and fought. Sat so in my you car. really sense it was a prompt. And oh, yeah. God was kind of yeah. saying, kind of a whisper. It's like, well, you've been studying all this stuff. It's like, okay, I'm getting better Put it to into practice. hear and respond. But if you're hearing God and you don't respond, who even cares, right? So, so I, 
I actually got in my car and sat there, and I'm thinking, okay, get up, get up, go pray for them. And then they walked away, and there I still sat fighting with myself. What was holding you back? What, so, was, what was the reason? Why did you hear and know. refuse I guess, instead of hear and respond? I guess I was just afraid that Fear. they'd freak out and be like, who are you and what are you? But it's like I told Denise, I'm like, I'm fine with people thinking I'm weird in most other situations. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know why that was such a big deal, but it's just like, and if I would have had maybe five more minutes, I would have probably gone ahead and done it. But I didn't move quick enough, and that hesitation was... I think that's why Jesus sent people out in twos. So you had some accountability, somebody to kick your butt. But when you're there by yourself, it's like... I think it's that just word so easy to, It's just so easy to cop out, and I copped out. Good. Thank, I mean, thank so, you, and uh, thanks for being honest and humble there. One of the things... It's interesting when he said, if I would have had... What did you say, five more minutes? What's interesting in the story here is that Moses tells them, hey... God said, go take the land. And they're like, yeah, we'll go take Then they get closer and they hear the porcelain the spies. They're like, no, now we, we don't want to. We're not sure. And it was fear. They have big giants, big people. Or in Patrick's case, they're going to think I'm weird. Um, what if I am weird? I don't know. And then what's interesting, what happened is, then, then, then Moses kind of pronounced them, oh, God's angry with you. And they're like, oh, no, no, now we'll do it. Now we'll do it. Now we'll go. Now we'll go. And they, oh, now we're going to get our, we'll get our, yeah, we'll get our swords and shields. We're going to go into battle now. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. You've missed the opportunity. It's kind of like Patrick. There's a hear and respond. And it's like there's like a, there's like a response time that God knows if you respond to this time frame, life is going to result for people. If you don't, you missed it. And, and, you know, you kind of wait that five minutes. And then they went into battle, even though Moses said, no, no, no. And, and they got, in Patrick's terms, they got their butts kicked. And, and there's times where we, and, and, and again, not to demean Patrick, because we've all done it. He, he refused to do what God asked him to do. And, he, and fear is usually the seed of our refusals. Think of times where you, kind of, you sensed or at least wondered strongly if God was whispering to you to go do something, whether it was giving somebody money, going praying for somebody, going on some missions thing or a weekend thing or some kind of ministry thing or some opportunity, and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I can't. And the reason you didn't go wasn't for time and convenience. It was fear of something. And you never know. And again, not, you never know what might have happened in that person's life that God may have had planned or in your life that he may have had planned. So is there a time, if you just kind of just run your finger over the word refusal, is there a time when you might remember times when you refused to do something God asked? And again, refuse is a strong word, but let's be honest, if you don't do what God asks you, it is a refusal. It's not just a, a well, all right? Last one. Can you remember a time when you complained about what God was doing or not doing? And the children of Israel, the Israelites, are spiritual ancestors, and we bear their DNA. They were really, really good at that. And I think most of us, myself included, have learned really well from them how to be a great murmurer. And you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? But... Am I supposed to always be okay with everything that happens in my life? Can I ever kind of be honest about disappointment? Or am I supposed to have this plastic smile? Oh, yeah, it's so wonderful. I lost my bank account. My, my girlfriend broke up with me, and I'm so happy. No. Here's the difference, and this is interesting. Think of Job. Job had a bunch of stuff 
go bad in his life. I mean, death, disease, loss of everything. Here's a difference, I believe, between murmuring and honest complaining, in a sense. I mean, honest complaining. Who did Job vent himself to? And God, he, 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 had, a, he had a full-out conversation with God. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. What do murmurers do? They don't, they don't talk to God about it. They, they just have this internal kind of murmuring or they complain to other people. It's a huge difference there. I think God took a lot, great deal of pleasure when Job said, God, what are you doing in my life? Because it was still a relational conversation. But then when things were, you know, but Job's wife, you remember Job's wife was telling Job, Job, I'm paraphrasing here, stick your middle finger up in God's face and walk away. He's no good for you. He's not doing anything good for you. That's the spirit of murmuring when we just kind of complain about, you know, the lot God's given me. And sometimes we don't even say it that way. We're just upset about our marriage, our family, my, my dad, my mom, my family growing up, my income, da 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 And it's okay to not to, to want more from your marriage and your income and your family. But when it becomes this murmuring spirit where really what you're saying, and we don't want to admit we're saying this, what we're really saying is, God, you didn't deal me a good hand. I'm not coming to you anymore for any more cards because you don't deal good hands to me. They got a better hand than me. They got a better hand than me. And they got a better hand than me. But look at my hand. It stinks. But again, as long as you can keep that conversation with God, do that. Be honest with God. But when you start just becoming a complaining, murmuring person and you break off conversation with God simply to complain about God, uh, it's a failure. And again... My guess is we can all think of times where at least in our spirit we know we were in a phase of murmuring against God. Like, God didn't, why didn't God give me a better dad or a better mom? Or why didn't God give me a better spouse or better kids or a better income? And if we're honest, we know those things happen in our lives. So now kind of rub your, take your finger across the word complaints as a way of at least acknowledging, yes, I can. maybe I, I know I've been that way or I know that I have a tendency and a potential to be that way. Because this side of heaven, all of us still live in absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. And the minute we walk away from the Holy Spirit and trusting God, like Moses was saying, we will give, be given into rebellion, refusing, and complaining. Now, switch gears here. Because now it's like, Okay, that's, that's heavy enough. I feel bad about myself or whatever, that, which is not the point. Um, now, let me switch to the New Testament here. And I'm not, the new, in the book of Hebrews, because you might say, well, wait a minute, why, why are we remembering when it seems like God forgets? And it's true. It's interesting kind of, we, we, remem- we remember, but God forgets. In the book of Hebrews, New Testament book, written mostly to a Jewish population who totally knew these stories from the Old Testament. They knew the failure of their ancestors and they knew how those failures could be their failures as well. And the author is telling them, he's kind of recounting the story of, of their ancestors' failures. You know, our ancestors' failures, our failures. And it says, but when God found fault with the people, in other words, when God looked at the people and said, you know what, you're refusing, you're rebelling, you're complaining, enough. And then God said, the day is coming when I will. And what we tend to think is, okay, 
Okay, now God's going to be mad again. He's going to be angry again. Like he was, you know, is, you know, we tend to think Old Testament, New Testament God are different. They're not. Same God, same demeanor. You know, we're told that Jesus is the exact representation of God. So what God did in the Old Testament, Jesus would have done too. Because God and Jesus are the same, all right? But what's interesting is the writer goes on for a few verses, and then he comes to this phrase, which is a wonderful, wonderful phrase. Go to the next slide. When God finds fault with his people, what he says is the day's going to come when I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. See, we're called to remember because that gives God the opportunity to forget. We hand our cards to God, so to speak, and God forgets as far as the east is from the west. He just says, you know, it's... But there's something spiritually healthy and vital for us acknowledging that we own a card and that we can be these kind of people and that we need this kind of God who will forgive our wickedness. Now, wickedness is a strong word. Some of those words, too, too we kind of, kind of, you know, kind of sounds fundamentalisty or whatever. Other, same word is translated in other parts of this, other, other Bibles translate unrighteousness or iniquities, but it's anything we do, it's refusals, complaints, and rebellions. That's what wickedness is. So, again, not to, not to knock on Patrick, but what Patrick did was refusing God, or what, what I did with my forehand of pornography was wickedness in the biblical sense, all right? But then God says, I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is not held against us anymore. Because the justice of God then becomes executed on Jesus on the cross. So this still matters. But then Jesus then says, you know what? Let me take those cards. I'll take them. And then there's a whole new way of relating to God. And then our response to Jesus is like, I mean, it's our response to anybody who would take our penalty card and say, I'll take care of that. Um, I'll close with another story of one of my failures, which some of you have heard before, but I, I don't like repeating it, but it's good for me to repeat. When I was in seminary, uh, a lot of things weird in my life happened when I was in seminary. So uh, there was a homework assignment in, the old, in an Old Testament class. The professor was, in my mind, totally unreasonable in what he expected the assignment because it was like a five-hour assignment. So some friends and I were working on the problems, and we decided, uh, we didn't call it cheating. We just decided that you do number one, you do two, I'll do three, and then we'll just trade answers. You know, the idea was you could work together, but not that way. And, and I knew we had crossed the line. Um, I didn't talk about the other guys. We just kept doing it because we had to, hey, we have time to save. You know, we don't have this much time, and God would, wa- God would want us to be good stewards of our time, right? I mean, you know how we justify all these goofy things. And um, long story short, the, a morning came where I couldn't pray in the morning because all, all, all I could think about was God reminding me, hey, you're cheating. You're cheating, you're cheating, you're cheating. And it was a big, big, big homework assignment. If the professor knew I was cheating and failed me on the assignment, you know, big red F, it would have really, it would have hurt my grade to the point where I would have had to come back to seminary for another quarter, which meant more money. So all this was going through my mind, you know, because I knew I deserved a big red F, all right? I went to this professor, um, again, long story short, I went to that professor on a morning, literally sweating all morning, hoping this professor was in his office because if he wasn't in his office, I was going to just go crazy with guilt. And uh, his name was Dr. McGarry. We called him Mad Dog McGarry. 
because he was kind of an intense guy. So he, he wasn't a he wasn't a warm-hearted person. He was a good man, but not warm. You know what I'm saying? So I went to his office and I told him, Dr. McGarry, I, I uh, blank, blank, blank in this assignment. And I, uh, I think what we did was, I think we were cheating. I didn't tell him the other two students were. That was their business, not mine. And even saying the word cheating was hard to come out of my mouth because I wanted to justify it with a softer term, which we always like to do. And he said, um, and I remember I hung my head down and I was kind of waiting for the big red F. And he said, you know what, Matt? The fact that one person's ministry could be saved because there's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in this area, he said, for, consider it forgotten. I got an A minus on the assignment. He said, forgive it. I said, so what do I get in the assignment? He said, what did you get in your paper? So I said, A minus. That's what you get. I remember, I remember leaving his office and I had, to, I had to walk across campus that day to go somewhere else across campus. And I was too energized to walk. I ran. And I really do not think my feet hit the ground. It was one of those moments. I can still remember. I can remember where I was. And what came to my head immediately was a song. Some of you may know this hymn. It's an old, old hymn. But it's the song, um, uh, there, is, there, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stain. And then it goes on, but the sense of this is what I think God wants me to learn from this. This is what he does. When I come to him and say, here's my card, sir. It's full of a lot of red stuff. And it's like, no, stain's gone. And I remember thinking, and I, I have since written that professor like three times in my life, saying, you taught me more in that thing than you taught me in your whole Old Testament class. No offense to your teaching. You were a great teacher. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take communion now. And again, go to the next slide. What we said, Jesus says, do this to remember me. That's why we do this. And what we are remembering is that G we're, we're not remembering how awful we are, we're remembering how great he is to forget and the ways, the provision he's put in place for us to become alive, awake, and free. All right. Here's what I want you to do, though. Uh, here's what we're going to do today. We, what, typically what we do is we offer, we have people up here that offer you the bread, you tear off a piece, so I'm singing, and you offer you the cup, and you dip it in the cup. We're still going to do that. Um, we don't dismiss by rows. We don't see who's up or down. You're, anybody who's welcome to come who would say, I want to follow Jesus. But we're going to do this way. We're going to have the, the servers two sets over there, two sets over there. And I want everybody to, who comes to communion to come through here and just drop your card in the pile. Because it's a stone of remembrance, but you're also letting go of it. Because it's not something you're supposed to remember. You remember, but God forgets. So you leave it behind, and then you come up here because Jesus forgets. All right? So it's going to be a little bit different, awkward in terms of uh, the, the, the trail. So you come here, and then you either go to either one of the sides here. All right? Does that sound good? And the people near you in the rows, people are going to be bumping into you, but be okay with that, okay? All right? Let me pray. God, we, uh, we're grateful, Jesus, that you forget. And you don't just forget like a grandfather forgets. You forget intentionally because you have taken care of what we remember. And it's no longer held against us. You have literally wiped the slate clean. And our rebellions, our complaints, and our refusals, uh, you remember no more. 
and we're free. We can live life free, and we're grateful. Jesus, we're grateful that you came, you died, and then you rose again, breaking the power that these past failures have on our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.